We have a lot of studies around innovation in winemaking. So winemaking is like one of the oldest technologies in the world. Okay, it's a hugely, hugely traditional way of doing things in the oak casks. And we have young researchers working in the area, looking how to bring innovation into wine technologies. And so they've come up with several technologies that are my favorite. When you say what's my favorite, these are my favorite. These are exciting because you're taking a really, really old process and you're putting new high tech into it. Larry Love runs Aerial Scientific Innovations, the tech transfer office for Ariel University in Israel, a relatively young institution. And in today's episode of Talking Tech Transfer, I talk to Larry to find out more not just about how to make wine innovation happen, but also what it means to run such a young tech transfer office. Larry, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to be with you. To kick things off, maybe you can give us a brief overview of what Aerial Scientific Innovations does, perhaps give us some numbers as well. Okay. Well, we're the um, technology commercialization office for Ariel University, which is located in the center of Israel. We're Israel's youngest and fastest growing university of about 15,000 students. The university received accreditation only in 2012, about eight years ago. So everything is kind of brand new and we're getting off, off the ground. And we do what a typical technology transfer office does. All of those activities that I'm sure you are very well versed in and, and your listeners are as well. That is, you know, trying to scout out the technologies coming out of the laboratories, obtain translational research funding for that, patent protection, and then, you know, bringing them to the, to the good of the public by, by partnering with entrepreneurs startups and and established companies to develop them into into products and services. So that's in a nutshell, you know, what we are. Again, it's it's a model that's that's exists in many universities that have research uh, you know around the world. Of course. Let's get this one straight out of the way at the top, the bad news first. How has the pandemic affected you and your work? Honestly, not too much, I have to say. I mean, our office has pretty much been able to continue its own internal work. The laboratories have slowed down a bit, and so the research progress has slowed a bit. But the commercial activity really hasn't slowed down that much. Okay. So I would say that the effect really on our office and our activities has been minimal. If anything, there might be a slight increase in productivity because we don't have that annoying business of students running around the campus bothering us. <laughs> and so we're able to get more, a lot more done that way. The one, the, the one big thing that, that, that I think puts a little bit of a pall is the amount of networking that you can do. You know, we, I, we used to go to a, maybe five to 10 conferences abroad a year, also in Israel too. And it's not the same when you try to do an event with, you know, with Zoom. The, 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 the connections just aren't as, as, uh, as personal as they are when you network and, uh, you know, with face to face. And so that, 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 I guess, is the biggest change we've seen that, that reduces our, our footprint, our being, being able to get out there and, 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 and make, make deals with new representatives and get to know new, new companies and so on. So that's where we are. Yeah, that's, that's something that I hear from a lot of people, that kind of, especially the, the serendipitous right. meetings right. where you don't really mm-hmm. – you, you go to a conference with 500 people. You might, help, you might know you have meetings with 10, 15, 20 of them, and then you bump into another 15, 20 people. 
some of those are going to be people that you would not have come across otherwise. And if you stare at someone on the Zoom screen with the gallery view, you're not going to, there's no uh, connection to be right. made. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, that's true. I'm glad to hear that it's not impacted your uh, your business operations as much, though. That's that's always good to hear. You worked in industry before you, you joined Remote at Tel Aviv University and then Aerial Scientific Innovations. What prompted your move into university tech transfer and um, what has made you stick around? Well, what prompted me to get into it was desperation. <laughs> That's <laughs> always a good answer. <laughs> I, was, I was actually out of a job in 2006 for about seven or eight months. And I, I went to, to you know try something in artistry and calligraphy. And they were so much fun, but I wasn't making any money at them. And, and so as I you know went through my Rolodex and went everywhere looking for a job, it cropped up. I knew nothing about technology, academic technology transfer. And I got lucky enough to be selected at uh, Tel Aviv University. So that you were talking about serendipity. I just got lucky and got fell into the job. But on the other hand, this is, this is the greatest job in the world. I mean, it's, it, it's got everything. Sex, violence, <laughs> money. It's got it all. Okay, the sex is a little bit weak. All right, it's not that much. But <laughs> Very Game of Thrones. <laughs> but, the, but you're on cutting edge of science. You're in the business world. You get to you know interface with all this cool new technology, and it's very personally for a guy like me that that doesn't like working in a huge team of hundreds on a on a small part of a project. You get responsibility, and it's just great. It's 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 a great job to have, and the turnover is typical. I mean, I I know what's going on at least certainly in Israel in the in the technology transfer offices, and the turnover is very low because it's such a great it's such a great opportunity. It's such a great job to have. So there's no question that, you know, people like to stick around because it's so much fun. I think that's true in a lot of places. I know some places like MIT, Stanford, before their current people, they, they, they had CEOs that were in charge for 20, 25 years. So it's, it seems to be a career where people, once they're in it, hardly anyone manages to get out again. <laughs> it also becomes a bit of a honey trap, the truth is, because, you know, every profession these days is a certain track. And once you get off the track, you get left behind. So it gets a little bit more difficult to be cutting edge in, in, in the science now. For example, if I wanted to go back to be a, I'm a physicist in training. And, you know, over the last 15 years, I've, you know, I've lost the edge on that. So I could go into business side of things maybe. But, to, you know, you, it, it's harder for me to go back and be a VP of R&D because just after 15 years of doing something else, it's, it's hard to do that. So that's missed a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's things have you know passed you by a little bit there. As you said, Ariel is a very young university, only eight years old, and and Ariel Scientific Innovations itself is is also a fairly recent creation. I think set up in two thousand and six, if the LinkedIn page is to be believed. What what are some of the challenges and opportunities for such a young institution? Well, what that I mean, obvious challenges are that uh, that you don't have a a, a strong an advanced portfolio of research that's happening. You know, when it, it, it's sort of a cascade because you need to attract high quality researchers and they need to attract high quality students and then you need the, the necessary budgets. So to get that ball rolling really takes time, a lot of time. And so most of our technologies are early, really, really, really early stage, low budget, 
And until our patent portfolio can become a little bit more mature, so you get end up paying huge amounts of, of maybe provisional protection and maybe a bit of PCT. And granted patents, it's very difficult when you're only eight years old, you know, that it, 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 you're very, very early in the, in, in, in the process. And so nobody knows you, you got to build a name, you've got to show that you're, you know, what, what your technology is all about. So that, that's a, that's a big challenge. You know, we're sort of the, what we call the, t- the tail of the lion right now, rather than the, the, the head or the, or the body, you know, many, uh, I mean, on the other hand, I, I, it's, it's good being, being in Israel because Israel has the aura of the startup and, and innovation. So, you know, like I say, we're an Israeli university that, that gets in some doors. And so that's helpful. The, the opportunities that you have when you're young and small is that you can be a lot more flexible. And, you know, I've, we've decided on a, on a policy that what's going to drive us is getting deals done rather than maximizing the, num- the numbers and the income, the financial side. And that, that makes things a lot easier. Okay, because we're really hungry to do all kinds of deals with with companies, and we don't get hung up on getting an extra half a percent. And also, our 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 principles we're we're more flexible on you know how we're going to handle IP, how we're going to handle publications, what we can do to support the company, and so that helps us differentiate ourselves from the more established universities, which you know can be a little bit more choosy, a little bit more maybe. Difficult to work with, you know. I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, in Israel, the typically, you know, universities have a bad name when it comes to doing deals with industry. They're always worried that the the bureaucracy and the legal structure within universities is going to make a deal difficult. And we, you know, we try to break out from that. So that's an opportunity that we have as a, as a young, flexible, dynamic institution. Is that something that you, I mean, it's crystal ball gazing here, but is that something that you hope to keep down the long, long term, that agility, flexibility, or do you think that's eventually going to go away as you become more of an established organization? I, I, I mean, on the one hand, sure, who's not going to say we want to be agile and flexible? Who's not going to well, say yeah, that? Yeah. But, but I, I would look, I mean, beggars can't be choosers. And so, you know, I look at ourselves right now, we're, we're beggars and we're not choosers. And I hope we get to a situation where we can have competing entities on our technologies and then we can be a little bit more choosy. So that will probably impact, but that, that might end up being a good thing. But, you know, everything has got its stages in life. You get in a certain, we're at the stage where, you know, we want quantity, say, over, over quality or over quantity of deals because that's what makes, makes noise. And we want that to happen. Yeah. That makes sense. As, as you said as well, Israel's got phenomenal ecosystem really punching above its waves as well for a country for roughly 9 million people. Does it make tech transfer easier to have an abundance of talents or is there a lot of competition going on? Uh, I, w- I mean, I wouldn't say there's competition, really. I think the fact that the whole, the whole ecosystem exists around innovation and entrepreneurial spirit only works to our advantage. So, there's an abundance of VCs here. There's a huge amount of multinationals. We have over 250 multinationals with research centers in Israel, and they're always looking for innovations. And they recognize that they come out they come out of universities now as well. And uh, there's no there's really really no downside. 
I mean, the 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 the, the diff. I mean, the technology transfer is a tough sport yeah. because of the the fact that we're so early stage and it's very high risk. That 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 exists no matter how you look at it. Yeah, of course. But the 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 atmosphere. I mean, I, I think it's great that. You know, when we look for an entrepreneur, that's the easiest thing in the world to find. I mean, every MBA student in Israel thinks he's, you know, <laughs> Bill Gates and Steve Jobs rolled into one, and they'll all and I'll I my phone will ring off the off the hook with people saying, "Give me something that you've got, you know, and and I'll make it into a, a great product or something." So there's no lack of entrepreneurial spirit and entrepreneurs. The, the so there's there's certain government. I know everybody likes to knock the government, but in terms of supporting collaboration between uh, academia and and industry there's some really really good programs that in order to tap into some funding a company has to work with an academic institution so we're getting okay. you know we're getting calls from industrial partners saying hey how about if we do this program together and you know that's very very helpful as well so the whole spirit i, I there's there's no problem of of competition and and too much talent out there and that we 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 get lost in the in in the shuffle if we do our job correctly then then the whole that the atmosphere is just is 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 helpful and is waiting to to help us do that does that entrepreneurial spirit translate to your faculty as well are they also keen to get their research out there or are they still the people who sit in their labs and, and not really talk to you well you know you you made it a binary type of thing there and (laughs) and as, as as typical you know, you'll have a you'll have a spectrum, but I tend to find that in general, a, a, a person that decides to go and become a university professor has a particular, you know, I, idea in mind of what what he wants to do with his life. Okay, th- th- typically they're not looking to make millions yeah. as university professors. They they're there to publish work, to to be independent, to have the prestige of a university chair. Those are the main things that drive their career. So if I had to say typically, typically they're less oriented to what we do. And part of what, you know, part of the challenges that we have is to get them on board and to have them support the process because it's not painless. We try to make it as, as you know, less difficult as possible. But there are certain things that we have to get yeah. from, the, from the research. They have to look over the patents that we, that we do. We often have them on calls and meetings if we're, you know, talking with potential partners. That sort of takes them a bit off the focus of their, you know, of their research. So it's not painless, but, you know, so so typically they're not quite as, you know, gung-ho commercial as your typical entrepreneur is, okay? Yeah. That there's a reason that they're at the university and that reason is to promote their research and have students and, and so on. But typically, you know, in most cases, we're able to find a happy medium with them to, to, to support what we're doing. And, of course, there's a revenue sharing, you know, program that, yeah, yeah. that they're happy to, you know, participate in. So there is a certain, there is an incentive for them as well. That makes sense. This is my favorite question. What's your favorite spin-out or technology that's come out of Ariel so far? Right. Well, you know, I'm not going to pick our success story in terms of, the startup that's making money. No, that's nice too. But you know, you said my favorite technology or spinoff. I would say we have a center of excellence in wine studies here. And okay, wow, that's different, right? And uh, and one of the one of the technologies. That, I mean, one of the things they've done is genetic studies of ancient biblical 
wines. Wow. And yes, and they've been able to to remanufacture wine that existed in biblical times, the time of Jesus and King David. And, wow. you know, because, you you know, archaeologically, you can you know, find the, the remnants yeah, of yeah. the, of the you know, grape seeds and so on. And so they, they've been able to do that, although that's not a technology that, you know, I can typically market. But, but we have a lot of studies around innovation in winemaking. So winemaking is like one of the oldest technologies in the world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a hugely, hugely traditional way of doing things in the oak casks. And we have young researchers working in the area looking how to bring innovation into wine technologies. And so they've come up with several technologies that are my favorite. When you say, what's my favorite? These are, these are my favorite. These, these are exciting because you're taking a really, really old, old process and you're putting new high tech into it. So one of the problems that you have with wine, for example, is the whole fermentation process, which is very delicate and needs to be continually monitored, which it isn't now. You know, you got the barrel and the guy goes once a day and takes a little sample out of a particular area. And yeah. that's how he makes decisions on to, to the pH is okay or the, 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 the num- amount of tannins is all right. And, you know, we, we've, hi- we've high-teched that up. And we have continuous monitoring sensors. And uh, you, you can, you know, add and change the amount of the, the nitrogen and the oxygen and, and you know, do, do all of the, the control sort of automatically. You don't want to replace the, 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 the oenologist, okay, because they're very sensitive to that. But you want to give him <laughs> no tools. No one likes losing that job. No, you want to give them tools that help them be better. We build a database that different wineries can, can use to say, if he had a problem, then, oh, maybe I can solve that with mine. So we get a database that we can share. So that, that's one area of high tech. Another area within the wine that we've, we've done is a developed a, a, much, a better way to age wine in barrels because barrels are really, really expensive. You only use them twice or three times. Each wine barrel for a quality wine costs something like 700 euros. And you use it twice or three times and that's it. So it's a huge expense. Wow. And yeah. so you know, we've developed a high-tech barrel that it, you, you can increase the surface area. What, what's so good about the barrel? It's a particular type of wood and it, 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 it uh, exudes its flavor into the wine. Okay, that's why it's very important. Yeah, yeah. And so we've developed a high, high-tech barrel with much larger surface area so that you can reduce the amount of time that the wine has to be in the barrel and get the same or better quality, better color. And you know, there's another area where you, you know, have this thing that's been done for a thousand years and, and now we can, we can, we can change, make, make it something new. Hard part, of course, is getting that into the market you know, because, because of the traditional nature of 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 winemaking yeah but we're you know we want to start with 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 not with say france and italy which is hardest market to to (laughs) get into but maybe with australia and chile that will be more amenable to to making these uh, you know new new changes that is amazing i i I, yeah i like asking these questions mostly because it brings out these kind of very weird out there technologies that most people wouldn't have thought of as, as i mean tech transfer you know you think healthcare life sciences I, physics it and i don't think i've ever thought of wine making as something that that would benefit from research when i was uh at my, my ass university Tel Aviv university we also supported a new technology for making films huh. and yeah so that was another one that was a lot of fun and i got my name written in the credits of a, a film that that made absolutely <laughs> no money but it was also nice to see that my name was on a, a film credit so my final question open-ended one 
whether there's anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about. No, I mean, you know, well, if you're considering a career, you know, in technology transfer, I can only recommend it. It's really, it's so much fun. And, you know, you really get in the bottom floor of, of new ideas. It's also, it can be a springboard to a business career in, you know, so I'm now a director of about four or five of our startup companies. And, you know, that, that is something that if you want to go into business, you can, you can also use it as a springboard to get into some of these, uh, you know, to join some of the companies. So I suppose if, when I get, when I grow up and I, if I want to join one of these companies, I probably could do that. So I think it's a great career and, and, and I'm really glad I fell into it. I think those are wonderful closing words. Neri, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, as always. And for me, and I can't wait to see you in person. One day, hopefully not too soon. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> that that time. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, that was a Freudian slip there. <laughs> oh, it was. No, I hope it, it, is, a good it slip. is soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Hales. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com, on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email thehelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.